listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. In the last podcast episode, I talked about that thing of space. You know, what happens when somebody says, I need space? And then what happens when somebody says, I need separation, right? Separation is the next layer of space. And today I want to talk about some reasons that people get derailed in their process to work on saving the marriage. And let me tell you, it's not about that space thing. The place that you really get derailed is what's happening within you. It's what happens within you in the moments of this crisis. So here's kind of how this generally happens. People generally discover that they're in crisis because a spouse says, we're in crisis. A lot of people tell me that they're kind of surprised. You know, they, they figured that things would get better. Sometimes they think that maybe something's up with their spouse. Sometimes they think, well, you know, when the kids get older or when you get that promotion or, you know, something will kind of get us back together. It's the pause button marriage, as I talk about. You hit the pause button thinking that you come back to this. One of the things that happens that people don't uh, notice is that you can't pause any relationship. It's true. And if you look at any of your relationships in life, they're either growing and expanding or they're contracting. That's the only way relationships go. If you've got a friend that you thought you'd be friends for life and then you fell out of touch and the longer you went, the less you thought about them and the less they thought about you and the less you connected, you realize that it diminished that relationship. Sure, you can catch up. But many times you realize there's a gulf between you because you weren't connected. The same is true in a marriage. The less connection there is between you, over time, the more it stresses the system, the more painful it becomes for both people. So often what happens is that one person is wrapped up in something, raising the kids, getting a promotion, getting through school, taking on a challenge of a hobby or something else, or some, some achievement they're trying to get through. And they're thinking, well, when we get to this other point in life, then we'll get back on track. Meanwhile, the other person is keenly aware of the pain of the distance between you. So finally, that person says, hey, we're in trouble. I'm in pain. I don't know if I can be here. I don't know what to do. And it becomes a crisis. So generally, what people do when there's a crisis is they rise to the occasion. They, they get busy. They want to heal and move forward. The problem is they want it to happen quick. When it feels urgent, we're in urgent mode. We get busy. We work hard. You know, it's, it's kind of like when there's a crisis at the office, everybody pitches in to get through the crisis. But that's not that they're going to sustain that over time. And the same is pretty much true anywhere in life. When we, there's a crisis, we rise to that crisis. When that crisis gets to be a little bit chronic, it loses some of its sustainability, its viability. People begin to back off a little bit. And so over time, they may get a bit derailed. When things feel urgent, two things happen. It leads us to action and anxiety. Action doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the right things, but you're doing busy things. You know, a lot of times people will tell me how they're working so hard to save their relationship. And when they tell me what they're doing, they're doing more damage to the relationship and their actions because it's frantic actions. 
They're count, calling their spouse all the time. They're sending their spouse gifts and all these things to try to lure them back. They're uh, trying to talk to them. I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago that had a six-hour conversation with their spouse trying to clear the air. And by the end of it, they had gone from, uh, I'm not happy to, we're getting a divorce. In those six hours, they did nothing but lose ground while they were desperately trying to get ahead. It led to action. Action is not the same as being useful action or helpful action, but there's action and there's anxiety. That's what spurs all that, the fears inside of losing something. So over time, people tend to get pulled off and derail from the process for two reasons. One is over time, the anxiety will die down. That's what happens in humans. We have a tendency of getting used to some certain state we're in. So if something is creating a lot of anxiety, if it goes on long-term, eventually you kind of numb out to the anxiety. At the same time, when an action keeps going and going and going and it's not getting any, any uh, help, it's not getting any benefit, people often stop the action. And they don't replace it with something better. They just stop the action. And so over time, both action and anxiety decline, leading to a less of a sense of urgency. And when there's less of a sense of urgency, they tend to be derailed from the process. And the result is that there are lots of marriages that didn't need to end, and they end anyway. The crisis kind of builds like a wave, if you're aware of, at, if you're at the beach, right, and you're watching the waves crashing, if you're aware of that process, you realize that that wave started miles and miles and miles out before you could ever see it. And it crossed over that ocean, finally to come crashing in on the beach. And so you're aware of the last little bit of it. But that wave was gaining momentum way back. So a lot of times people kind of get used to the wave coming in until suddenly it crashes onto the shore and they're surprised by the crash of that wave. The same thing happens in a relationship. You kind of get used to the crisis. You kind of get used to what's going on. You stop taking actions because of that and suddenly it crashes in on you and turns you upside down, thrashing you in the foam and, the, and you suddenly realize that you got to do something. The problem is too much time has passed. So we want to talk about what derails you so that you can deal with this before the crash comes in. Imagine you're in a dinghy out there, right? And you're slowly coming toward the shore. Your waves got you and it's slowly pushing you forward. And you're going, oh, this is nice. It's a nice little ride. Ooh, it's getting a little steep. Ooh, it's getting kind of bad. Suddenly, boom, it tosses on top of you. What had happened if you had paddled your way out of that wave long before it pulled you into shore? Would that have made a difference? That's why we want to be able to look at the derailing pieces so that you can keep on paddling. Okay, so what are the things that derail you? I want to highlight four of them. The first th three thing is distracted. The first thing that derails people is simply that they get distracted by other things. They stop thinking about that relationship. So I want you to realize that one of the things that is true in lots of marriage crises is that it starts in that pause button. A spouse says, well, you don't care about me because you're not putting anything into the relationship. And I don't care enough to put anything into the relationship. They both hit pause, but they're starting to interpret it differently. One is simply saying, we'll get to this down the road. And the other is saying, you don't want this and I don't want this. 
And so the reality begins to prove itself because when somebody gets distracted from their process of saving the relationship, the way it feels to the other person is, here we go again. So one of the common themes I see in this process is that somebody realizes that they are in trouble, that they are disconnected. And so they spend a lot of time reconnecting with the spouse. They're making good progress. They're getting some traction. Their spouse is feeling some hopefulness. And then they get distracted. And in their mind, there's a justification for the distraction. The kids, school, work, life, whatever, something out there, they're distracted by that. They're paying attention to that. And they think in their mind that it makes sense. You know, I've got to, I've got to take care of these things. Their spouse is thinking, well, this proves my point. We really don't have enough. We couldn't maintain our connection. It's not going to last. So distraction basically means that we are verifying for a spouse that there is no connection that's going to last in the relationship. At that point, they have more proof. It's kind of like that wave gaining momentum. It was a small wave. Then it begins to be a bigger wave and a bigger wave. And it's gaining momentum. And it's harder to escape from the throes of that as it's pushing in. And so for them, the wave just gains some height and some power because a spouse being distracted proves to the other spouse that really wasn't worth it, that they really weren't serious about changing. The second thing that derails people is the distancing. Now, this isn't the distancing of your spouse. It's your distancing. Sometimes people tell me that they have to protect their emotions that they have to stay away from the spouse to not be hurt, that they need a break from the process, that they need to pull away for a certain amount of time. In the process, what they're doing is distancing. In their mind, it makes sense. But remember, your spouse isn't aware of why that makes sense to you. They're only aware of what it feels like on their end, which is distance, which is, uh, again, disconnection and which is, once again, proving their whole point. So we have to be very careful not to allow the space to become more the norm. One of the realities of any relationship is that proximity is one of the pieces that's important. The more we're around somebody, the more we think kindly of that person. The less we're around, the more distantly we think of them. And so proximity drives us into either being closer or further away. So just the physical or the psychological proximity can help to create more connection between two people. But when somebody distances because they need some breathing room or because they need a break or for some other reasons, maybe they're trying to protect themselves, they only verify for their spouse exactly what their spouse was saying. So the second derailer, is distance. The third derailer is doubtful. Doubtful. They doubt themselves, their spouse, the possibilities of saving the relationship. They doubt their own competence. They doubt the importance of the relationship. They begin to doubt. So one of the things that often happens for all of us is that when things aren't going as well as we would like, we begin to doubt our capacity of dealing with it. Have you ever had that happen? I mean, in your life, somewhere else where you were working really hard on something and it didn't go the way you wanted to, and from then on, you kind of doubted yourself? 
was talking with a businessman years ago, and he had a very successful company, and he tried another company. That company didn't work out. At that point, he began to doubt himself in every other area, and he began to do damage to his original company, which had been going fine because of the doubts that he had caught from another bad experience. Rather than being able to say, okay, that's not about this, he globalized his doubt to everything in his life. In the process, he put his, his old business at risk because his new business had, had not worked out. Instead of being able to look at it and say, well, you know, that new business was a bad venture, he let it creep into all of his life. We often do that. Let's say you're in school and one class doesn't go well and you start doubting whether you should be in that major or doubting whether you should be at that school. That can creep in and mess up everything, right? There was a move in my basic level of jujitsu that I just could not get right. And I, I recognized, even at the time, that the reason I couldn't figure out the first time was because of the body type of the person I was working with. They weren't, they weren't heavy enough to kind of manage me while I was doing it. They were much smaller than me. And so when I did it, it kind of collapsed them. So I couldn't try out this technique. I began to have doubts about my capacity of doing that technique, and it took a while for me to get my mind beyond that because I began to doubt my capacities, my competence to get beyond that. You see, doubt can trickle in in places where it doesn't belong. And a lot of people become doubtful about their capacity of having a relationship that they would want. They become doubtful of their honesty of a spouse, they become doubtful of their own self. Maybe there's something unlovable about them. So they allow the doubtfulness to creep in and begin to affect their actions. Does that mean you can never be doubtful? No. It does mean that you have to be careful to not allow the doubtfulness that creeps in to derail your process. The fourth area of derailing is being discouraged. Discouragement happens when we're not getting leverage when we want it to happen. So you can become discouraged because your process isn't going the way you wanted it to. Now, sometimes this is because we, as I refer to it, read the tea leaves. A spouse does something and we start reading into that what that must mean and we become discouraged by that. Sometimes we see something that may be even factual and we allow that to discourage us. Sometimes the discouragement is because it's not happening the way we want it to. Discouragement is a point where we don't believe the future can change the way we want it to. It's not about what's happening in this moment. It's about how we're thinking forward into the future. So maybe you try something and you feel rebuffed. Instead of just saying, okay, that didn't work, we say, oh, that will never work and I'll never be at a good place. It's about the future look that creates problems in the present moment. When that happens, when we're discouraged, we often lose the passion to even try something. That's true through everywhere in life. When we're discouraged, we lose the passion to even try. I want you to think for a moment about that word discouraged. Discouraged. We don't think about it. We just kind of put it together. But courage is an action from the heart. Discourage means that it's removing the action from the heart. So when we are aware of where that's coming from, we can realize that sometimes things aren't going to go the way we want them to. And that doesn't mean that it's a dead end. It just means that way didn't work. 
So many times when I'm having conversations with, with people, they'll start with saying, well, I haven't saved my marriage, to which I add at the end, yet. You haven't saved it yet. But there is always the capacity in the future for things to change. Where we are now is where we are now, not where we have to end up being. Discouraged means that you're reading into where it necessarily means you're going to go. So those are the four derails that get people off their plan. Being distracted, distanced, doubtful, and discouraged. So how do you find your way back? Well, oftentimes that's about being really clear about following your plan regardless of what's happening. Now, sometimes we have to recalculate our plan. Sometimes we have to get a little coaching to make sure our plan is getting us moving in the right direction. But you got to have a plan to even start that process. And the other piece is the commitment to that plan, the commitment to the process. I'll talk about four C's regularly with people. It used to be three C's, but I've added a fourth C, and it kind of feels like today we might even want to talk about a fifth C. So the four C's, that the, let's talk about the three C's that I've talked about as the core of this, and then we'll talk about the two that we want to add on. The three C's I've talked about are calm, constant, and consistent. Calm means you work to find a calm presence within yourself. You actually try to find a place to be calm, knowing this, no matter what happens, you will be okay. Good outcome, bad outcome, whatever outcome, you will be okay. The second piece of that calm is recognizing that you have the capacity of figuring this out. That's, that's what you, you hold. You have the capacity of figuring this out, and you're going to figure it out. So you can be calm about that. You're living in the present moment. You're detached from the outcome as much as you can be, and you're working to connect in the moment. That brings calm. There are other pieces of calming yourself, talking about dealing with your breath and other pieces that you can find more about on my Thrivology podcast. But calm is finding a true place of calm, not just acting calm, although that is a piece of it, but being truly calm. The second piece is being constant, which means that you don't try something this week and then remember it six months from now that you meant to do something again and again. Constant means that you find the right rhythm, the constant rhythm, not the desperate rhythm and not the inconsistent rhythm, but a constant rhythm. For instance, let's say you're sending a one-way text. You send a one-way text. That's a technique that I talk about in my system. You send a one-way text, and then you don't return to that for three weeks. Have you been constant? At the same time, you don't want to send a one-way text five times a day or even five times a week, but you find a constant level that works, that's on a regular basis. So constant is a way about being regular in your actions. Which leads us to consistent. Consistent means that you're following an approach, and it's a consistent approach. For instance, my approach to saving your marriage is about rebuilding your connection. It's about rebuilding your connection, changing yourself, creating a new path. Those are the three pieces. Connect, change yourself, create a new path. So if you're consistently following that, you don't suddenly read about, let's say, the no contact rule and decide that you're going to implement that for the next 30 days because that's not consistent with a connection plan, with a change plan. You're trying to make sure that when you're adding things in, they actually make sense in your overall plan. There's a congruence to your overall plan that makes sense. 
Sometimes people just go, oh, this is written about saving your marriage. It must fit with everything else written about saving your marriage. And that's actually not the case. There are some things that absolutely will not fit together. And there's some things that you shouldn't try anyway. But for sure, you want to make sure that what you do is consistent with your plan, with your approach. Then there are those last two that I've added on. One that I've added on recently is being courageous. You see, courageous means that you act in spite of your fear or regardless of your fear. So courageous action, action that comes from your heart, is choosing to act even though you feel the fear or feel the frustration or feel something that often keeps you away from that. You're going to do it anyway. You feel that because you've decided to. Your actions aren't ruled by your fears. They're ruled by your decisions. You've decided to work on this, which brings us to maybe this fifth C of being committed. You're following your commitment. If you want to know what keeps most people on the rails, it's about their commitment. They're living into their commitment of their marriage and to their relationship. Now, if you need some help with what you're going to do about this, of how you're going to move forward and and understand how to save your marriage. If you're saying, you know what, I believe in that connection thing. I've got to work on that. Grab my Save the Marriage system and get started with that. You can find that at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. If you want to learn more about my 3C approach of connection, changing yourself, creating a new path. You might like my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps. You can find that by going to savethemarriage.com slash book. That's savethemarriage.com slash book. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.